Amen. Thank you, John. Our church, First Methodist Church Canyon, our, our calling is to glorify God in worship, grow in likeness of Jesus, and give our lives in love of Jesus. That is our calling. If you'll go to that slide. We are to glorify God in worship, grow in likeness of Jesus, and give our lives in love of Jesus. That's the way we say we fulfill our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We feel like it is vitally important that we are in worship, that we learn to glorify God as we worship. That's what we do here this morning. We are gathered together in worship. And it is primarily for God to glorify him. We also receive, but we have to remember that we are here to glorify God, to thank him for what he has given us. And then we try to grow in likeness of Jesus. And we say as a church that the best way that we have found over the centuries to grow is to be in accountable small groups of people like Sunday school or other groups where we can learn and grow and challenge and, and question and, and take care and pray for each other. There are other ways to grow. Of course, being in worship is part of it. Uh, reading scripture, prayer, fasting. Those are the things that help us grow in likeness of Jesus. And then that third part, to give our lives in love of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life in love of us. And we are called to do the same, to give our lives in love of him. And we can do that many ways in serving in helping those in need and making sure justice is being done. But today we're talking about that third piece, that giving. And we're talking specifically about financial giving, giving money. That's what this series is about, to give in love of Jesus. We started last week when we talked about the why of giving. Why do we give? And we talked about three, primarily, three primary reasons why we give. Because first, giving puts God first in our lives. That's a why of giving. And second, we talked about how giving is an act of worship. And third, we talked about how giving helps us to be thankful to God. And so that's the why of giving. There's many other whys. But those were three that we looked at last week. Today, we're asking the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? We are human. We like to know what we get out of things. And there are benefits that we get from giving. This what's in it for me. There are many reasons, and we're going to focus on just a few this morning. The what's in it for me. And when we talk about benefits, uh, of giving, it, it reminded me of a, a, a story I heard a while back where uh, two men were, were shipwrecked on an island and the first man was losing it. He was just sobbing, screaming, terrified. He was just saying, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. There, we have no hope. And the second man, he was just calm, cool, and collected. He wasn't worried at all. And, and the first man just kept lamenting over and over, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And the second man finally had enough. He said, wait, hold on said, you don't have to worry. I make $100,000 a week. And that first man said, 
excuse me, how does that help us at all? We are on a deserted island. No one knows we're here. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. We're gonna die. He said, no, 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 no. Listen up. You didn't hear me. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe to the church every week. My pastor will find me. That's, that's not quite the benefit that we're talking about today. But the Bible does spell out at least three, three benefits of financial giving to God. And they are. Giving benefits us by helping us trust God. It protects against idolatry. And it does bring rewards. We're going to look at those three. There's other benefits, but those are the three we're going to look at this morning. So let's flesh those out a little more. First, giving helps us to place our trust in God and in his provision for our lives. Trust is an interesting concept, but if we do not give to God, then we are in effect telling God we do not trust you or you are not worthy of receiving my giving. That's what we're telling God when we do not give. Even in our money, it has the words inscribed on it, in God we trust. But do we really trust God? And the act of giving, we are placing, or we should be placing our trust in God. We are choosing to live in faith and not fear. We're acknowledging the presence of God in our lives. We serve a God who wants us to trust in him for our provision. But we like to hedge our bets. We are a people that don't, we have a history, don't we, of not trusting God. And that goes back all the way in, into Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The Bible is full of stories of misplaced trust, of not pla uh, placing our trust in God for provision. And the Bible is, is that story the people who fail to trust in God and, and God constantly reminding his people to trust me. Trust me. I will do what I say. I will provide. All the way back in the book of Genesis when God makes a covenant with Abraham. You remember that? That God commits to take care of him. God commits to make him a great nation, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to promise to do this. And time after time, we see those great patriarchs of our faith. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, Moses, David, Solomon. I could go on and on and on. They constantly break trust in God. They break their covenant with God and they suffer the consequences for that. And sometimes they were actually punished, but sometimes they, were, they just suffer the consequences of not following God's rules. There are consequences when we don't follow God's law. You know, uh, I was thinking about, and uh, Roman reminded me of this, of, of Dave Ramsey. You know, any of y'all listen to Dave Ramsey or know who he is? You know, he talks about uh, finances and how to get out of debt is one of the main things he talks about. And he has a proven strategy to get out of debt. It's a very simple concept. It's the debt snowball. And some of you have done it or, or, or know what I'm talking about, but... Uh, Time after time, I've talked to people and I've heard it on the radio. People just do not want to follow that advice. They want to do something else. They have a better plan or a better idea. Now, and time after time, I've talked to people and they can't get out of debt and they blame someone else. Well, Dave Ramsey's plan doesn't really work or, well, I, you, it, you, no, 
It's not his fault that you're, you're, not, you're in debt, right? It's your fault you're in debt. You can't blame someone else. But so often we wanna blame someone else. We suffer the consequences of our actions. If we don't trust, there are consequences. The people of God were constantly reminded to bring their offering to the tabernacle, the temple, in order for them to be blessed by God. It was an act of trust. Even in the very way we are designed, the law of God, that part we hate to read, Leviticus, parts of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, why did God give that to us? It was for our benefit. It was so that we could have abundant life. It was so that we could keep the proper perspective of who God is and who we are so that we don't get those mixed up because too often we get those mixed up. And so in the law of God, we see this time after time that even in, in how we're supposed to live, we were given a Sabbath, right? What was the Sabbath for? So that we could rest and worship, so that we could be renewed. But too often we say, well, we, I'm too important to rest. So I, I'm gonna work seven days a week. Well, or I don't trust God and so if I worked seven days a week, if I didn't rest, I could make more money instead of trusting in God. Even the way we are designed, we're called to set aside a time to rest. It was a way for them to practice their faith in God and to show the nations, hey, we trust in God. We don't have to work seven days a week. God will provide but giving to God reminds us to trust in God and in his provision for us. It is an antidote of trying to trust in ourselves and our own money and our wealth. And 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul, reminds us of this truth when he writes these words. Chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our Enjoyment, how cool is that? Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Are you always ready to share with others? By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What a great passage of scripture. I love that. The text reminds us that the true source of our wealth, of our very life, is God. Now, I know some of you. Some of you say, well, no, I work hard for my money. I got it on my own. I sacrificed. I worked hard hours. I risked, and I won. And I would tell you, I'm sorry, your pride is showing. Because the very ability to take this next breath was a gift of God. Your abilities, your mind, your risk-taking abilities, all of those things are from God. And God is the one who provides. So if you do have wealth, you might consider yourself doubly blessed by God. Or maybe doubly cursed, depending on which text you read from Jesus. Remember that text? It's easier to get... Never mind. Oh, come on, <laughs> We can't forget that. That's a foundation. When we put our trust in God and not in our own abilities, too often we reverse those and we put our trust in our abilities and not in God. 
Giving to God is a tangible reminder for your trust in God. When you put an offering in the offering plate, when you fill out a financial commitment to the church, when you are giving to someone in need, you are celebrating God's provision. The second benefit of giving is that it helps us, keeps us from idolatry. Now the Bible commends us to work hard and to be good stewards of all that God has given us. And at the same time, God warns us over and over again to not make money and wealth the focus of our lives. When we pursue money and security over God, we're breaking at least the first commandment and the third commandment. There may be others down there that we're breaking. What's the first and third commandment? Do you remember? You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any idols, right? When we put money ahead of God, we are doing those two things. For many of us, money becomes our God and our idol and giving, if done sacrificially and to God, is the antidote to idolatry. Proverbs reminds us of this in 21, 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. The godly love to give. The psalmist also reminds us of this in Psalm 49, five through 20. I'm gonna read this Psalm and you're gonna to get to meditate on it. We've already done a little bit of that, but you can close your eyes if you want to as I read this Psalm, or you can keep your eyes open. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I just want you to hear these words as I read through Psalm 49, five and following. Why should I fear when trouble comes, when enemies surround me? They trust in their wealth and boast of great riches, yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Those who are wise must finally die just like the foolish and senseless leaving all their wealth behind. The grave is their eternal home where they will stay forever. They may name their estates after themselves but their fame will be lost. They will die just like animals. This is the fate of fools though they are remembered as being wise. Like sheep, they are led to the grave where death will be their shepherd. In the morning, the godly will rule over them. Their bodies will rot in the grave, far from their grand estates. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. So don't be dismayed when the wicked grow rich and their homes become ever more splendid. For when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. In this life, they consider themselves fortunate and are applauded for their success, but they will die like all before them and never again see the light of day. People who boast of their wealth don't understand. They will die just like animals. How's that? Amen. The psalmist is reminding us to not trust in our wealth. And second, that wealth is an idol that will not last. We are foolish if we make it first in our lives because we cannot make enough money to escape death. None of us can. And it's only in God that we have hope after this life. And of course, Jesus had much to say about this subject as well. In Luke, we read Jesus' famous statement, you cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus had been speaking against the Pharisees who were the religious leaders who loved money and power. Their problem was that they had made money their God. And Jesus was not so subtly reminding them that their fate 
and their life was hanging in the balance if they did not destroy the idol of wealth and seek after God first. You see, sacrificial financial giving requires us to put our trust in God and keeps money from becoming an idol in our lives. Again in Luke, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man who wasn't rich toward God. And he says this, Luke 12, 15, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he tells the parable of the rich man who decided to tear down his barns. You remember the story? He says he's gonna tear down his barns and and build bigger ones where he can store all of his wealth and his goods. And then he said to himself, I'll retire. I'll have enough to live on and I'll eat, drink, and be merry. It's the only time we talk about retirement in the Bible other than the priest retiring. And what does God say to him? You fool. And that very night he died. And Jesus ends by saying, that's the way your life will be. If you're not rich toward God, you will forfeit your life. Now it's just a parable. But I want you to think about that. When you stand before your creator in heaven, what's the first words you want out of his mouth? I don't want you fool. I'll take something else, anything else. Right? You fool. Do you get that? Can you feel that? Because if you put money, wealth, and possessions first, that's what's God, that is what God is going to tell you when you stand before him. You're an idiot. Could you not figure this out? You're a fool. Giving keeps us from making money an idol. Third, financial giving brings rewards. Financial giving brings rewards. Now we need to understand that, but we need to understand what types of rewards. And here's the thing with so many, uh, I'm going to say pastors on television stations, they focus on one type of reward and that Many say that we're going to actually receive money for the giving that we give. So they would say, in effect, if you give X amount of dollars, God will give X amount of dollars back to you and bless you financially. That is called uh, the prosperity gospel. Uh, I think it is partially true, but I also think it is a cult. And most cults are partially true. God never promises that every time you give money, you will receive money in return. Sometimes when you give money, you will receive being crucified. You will receive death on this earth. God is not some kind of cosmic Santa Claus that's just going to give to you financially. However, God does promise rewards. Both financial rewards, sometimes, but primarily heavenly rewards. Let me remind you of God's character for just a moment. We serve a God who is a covenant God, right? You remember he made covenant with Abraham and with us. And God said, Here, here's your part to be faithful and here's my part I will provide. If you uphold the stipulations of this covenant, I will provide for you and I will bless you and I will bless you to be a blessing. And those blessings are eternal blessings. Uh, 
Blessings that go beyond the latest gadget or gizmo, but blessings of hope, love, joy, and peace. We see those promises of rewards earlier from that text we read from 1 Timothy that Paul was writing in chapter 6. He said this, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Storing up treasure for the future, a reward. And also from our text from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 that John read earlier, we read this. It says this, and this is Paul again speaking. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We give in love of Jesus, right? And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity. The rewards that we receive from financial giving are at least threefold. There's others, but these are the primary ones that I see. The first one is this, feelings of purpose and joy. How many times when you've given to someone or something or to ministry, have you received joy and purpose in your giving? It is more blessed to receive, I mean to give than to receive. Yeah, <laughs> messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> but it is true, as I have found in my life, the more I practice generosity, the more purpose I feel in who I am and who God's called me to be. Second, material blessings. There are times when in our faithful giving to God that God does provide material for us. Not every time. So that shouldn't be the primary reason why you give. But that is a, a benefit of giving. I'll give you an example. When, uh, when our family uh, earlier in our life we had been giving at the time about 15% of our income away. 10% was going directly to the church and about 5% was going to uh, other ministries uh, that we supported. And I've told you this story before. Some of you have heard it. Uh, but we had uh, taken a different ministry position and I had taken a $20,000 pay cut. And, uh, but it was all right. We were good. We were excited about where God had uh, put us. But you know me, I'm the accountant, Right. I did my degree in accounting and I like to do budgets. It's just the way I'm wired, it's weird. So I'm sitting down on paper, writing up our budget as we're learning how to live in a different salary structure. And as we're still tithing 10% and then that other uh, amount that we're giving away. And then I recognized that we were short in how much we could live on. That our giving was causing us to be short. And you know how much I was short? That 5% that extra that we were giving to these other ministries. And so Kat and I were talking about it and we were sitting down and talking about what do we do here because we already have a pretty tight budget. And, and in my mind, I could say legitimately, I'm giving a tithe already, 10%, so I could stop this other giving. And, and I'd, be, I'd be okay, right? And, and, and I thought about it and, and I was trying to justify that in my mind. And then I began to think about that giving that we were doing to that extra and that extra was going to a, 
a compassion child in India who had no shoes. <laughs> and uh, that extra was going to a missionary uh, in Hungary. And that extra was going to uh, campus ministries that we'd supported and other things. And so Kat and I started talking. And I said, I believe that God is calling us to continue to give this amount. So we're going to have to cut some of this extra that we're living on. And it's just, we're just gonna have to tighten the belt, you know, not eat out as much. Uh, I'll have to learn how to cook, those kind of things. Um, and as we're making that decision, as we decided that's what we're gonna do, the mailman comes and my wife stops from the conversation and gets the mail, comes back in, and in the mail is a check for $10,000. I believe that we would not have received that check if we'd have said, we're not gonna give extra, we're just gonna do what we can. But that was more than enough to provide for what we were giving. Sometimes God does financially reward us, but not all the time because there's, I can tell you about a thousand stories of where uh, we were not blessed financially from giving and we just had to tighten the belt. But the third Eternal value. What we talked about earlier. Remember, Jesus also said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In some sense, which is a mystery to me, and I can't fully explain it, our giving is credited to our account in heaven. We will receive some type of eternal reward. Now, these rewards don't save us, but are promised to us in the future. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, don't ask me to explain what that means. But we see that throughout scripture so many times where Jesus and Paul and others talked about receiving treasure in heaven. So what's in it for me? Three things. Giving benefits us by helping us trust in God. It protects us against idolatry and it brings rewards. Those are the three primary benefits that I see. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for this day. Thank you, O oh God, for your calling for us to give. Help us to be faithful, we pray in your holy name. Amen.